Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Remember to follow me on Instagram, TPTL Hunter, Twitter, CPTL Hunter, uh, Facebook, Captain Hunter's Podcast on Facebook, Captain Hunter's Podcast on YouTube. Make sure you follow me on all those different platforms. Every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we do uh, a live show. We have different guests or sometimes just me ranting about, the, or you can ask me questions, not just ranting, but you can ask me questions, uh, type in about what's going on in law enforcement, the police reform efforts and all that kind of stuff. Um, re remember, you can pick up a copy of the book, uh, Police Reform. It's unavailable on uh, Amazon, lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U.com, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. So you can pick up a copy of that book. Um, so we have a former chief today who's going to talk about his book, Tarnishing the Badge. Tarnishing the Badge is the name of his book. You can get it on uh, Kindle. His book is also available on uh, Amazon and wherever books are sold. Tarnishing the Badge, Chief, uh, retired Chief Jerry Summers out of uh, McCall, Idaho. A very, very small department, um, but uh, they, they do a lot of touristy type of activities out there uh, for his town. And uh, so he was... We were both a guest on Issues Today. So if you listen to the Issues Today podcast um, make, uh, or episode, um, or if you listen to the podcast, uh, also if you listen to uh, my guest appearance on that particular show, which I put up on as an episode on, on Captain Hunter's podcast, then uh, you can hear both of us speaking up there. So I reached out to Jerry after the show. He's so kind enough to come on. Uh, I read his book, very, very similar to mine. You know, there's a lot of different things that have gone on uh, within law enforcement that uh, he uh, disagrees with, that I disagree with, and uh, so therefore two like minds uh, get together. So uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the episode. Um, Chief, retired Chief Jerry Summers, McCall, Idaho uh, Police Department, and uh, here we go. Make sure you pick up a copy of his book, Tarnishing the Badge. Anyway, uh, so we're here with uh, Chief Jerry Summers of the Idaho, uh, McCall, McCall, Idaho, McCall, Idaho. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, welcome. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to a discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you and I met on uh, another uh, program that we were on that is escaping me. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> Issues, issues today. today issues today yeah out of out of england and uh yeah so we had a good time good discussion just talking about all the stuff that's going on in law enforcement um so i decided to reach out and have you on this sh show as well and uh you're also author of tarnishing the badge i am uh, uh which was a great great book i that i read um and uh kind of reminded me of my book which is a shameless plug there uh, police reform <laughs> please reform make sure everybody gets it um but uh, yeah it was a uh, it was a great great uh Great, uh, great time we had. And so uh, we've got a few viewers here. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Okay. I I came to law enforcement later. And I was 39 when I got into involved in law, law enforcement. I'd come from um, California to Idaho, and I'd left the banking industry, uh, where I was a vice president with Citibank and their commercial real estate department, moved to McCall, Idaho, which the best way to describe McCall, Idaho is it's a small uh, resort town that sits on a 53-acre uh, glacier lake. So it's a 
very it's a tourist attraction and the um population of the town is 30 about 3300 3500 year round residents and swells to between 20 and 60,000 in the summer at any given time so the police department i i was chief of um we had 15 sworn and and three administrative so we were um and then we had some code enforcement we were unsworn it was a, a staff of 21 at the, at the highest point okay nice so you were uh you were kind of putzing around there for 39 years <laughs> <laughs> indeed um and so you had a, uh, we were just talking a little bit before, you had a pretty impressive department as far as education, right? I mean, it, most of them had master's degrees or and bachelor's degrees. And we, we had 20% of our, uh, our, in, our sworn staff and uh, had bat, uh, master's degrees and a total of 85% were bachelor's and or graduate degrees and the balance were um, high school diploma and some, some college, but no, uh, associates or no other type of degree okay very good uh, that's i think that's that's uh that's very good uh okay i'm getting some message uh somebody's saying there's no volume can you guys hear us everybody can hear us i i assume i can i can hear you from this end and i just want to make sure they can hear us out there in, in virtual land there can you guys hear me um, somebody typed in there's no volume Okay, very good. So I got to thank you very much, Trey. Uh, so let's see. So some people are saying good evening, good evening, and uh, they can hear us. So, um, so yeah. So let we. I want to have a conversation about uh, what's going on in law enforcement today. Uh, so let's just kind of start at the at the be very beginning there. Um, <clears throat> so uh, a few a few weeks ago. We had a you know a kind of assault on the Capitol there. Capitol police officers, uh, two two have two have died, I believe, and another two have committed suicide or something along that along those lines. What are your thoughts about what's going on with the assault on police officers uh, in response to the election and all that kind of stuff? What's your thoughts about that? Uh, where do I start here? But um, <laughs> first of all, law enforcement is a difficult uh, profession to be in right now. Um, uh, there is a lot of um, animosity towards and animus towards police officers uh, due to some pretty high profile incidences involving police officers. Um, but it's, you know, law enforcement is one of those careers that you know you take a risk at uh, not coming home every time you leave the house and go on duty. That doesn't make um, the death of an officer any um, less significant so the two officers in that were injured in um the capitol riot first of all that's part of part of that's a function of your job it's is dealing with that it's not one that any of us like to to do but uh and the fact that they were killed on duty is a tragedy it's a tragedy is any officer that's killed on duty whether it's a car accident or a felonious assault um it's it's a tragedy and my condolences and uh, go out to the families involved, all all the families involved of officers who have um, lost their lives in the line of duty. Uh, the you asked me another question with regard to the suicides. Suicide is one of those unspoken 
plagues, I, I would say, in, in law enforcement. Um, there are some departments that just simply will not um, acknowledge a, a police officer suicide. And then there are others that go over and above um, trying to deal with the mental health of officers. Uh, in my department, one of the things the officers initially hated me for was when we had a high profile or um, uh, not, not a high profile, but when we had a, a critical incident and there needed to be debriefing, uh, officers involved in that critical incident were forced to um, meet with a, a psychologist and that, and that just to to, to be debriefed professionally with a psychologist and and yet generally it was two to three times within a week and if they were released by the psychologist or psychiatrist to come back to duty then they came back to active duty initially they they did not like the idea of being told they had to seek some mental health, but I think in the long run, they came to understand that it was not a, a criticism or a um, weakness to seek out mental health professionals in, in, in critical incidents. And I think in the long run, the officers stayed healthier. Um, now, for instance, New York there years ago when in 2016, when I was writing the book, I, I did some research and there was a commissioner that said, we don't have suicides. So, you know, our officers that died, died from a domestic incident or um, or some sort of traffic crash and and just things that were actual suicides were deemed a response to something else and not a suicide or uh, a lot of them were called accidental shootings um and while i understand the the reason you want to honor an officer's um reputation and the professional um contribution he's made uh when you de when you deny something is happening um then you tend to discredit that and and Suicide in law enforcement's been a, a, um, a high-risk portion of the duty for a long time, and we're still not. I don't. I don't believe law enforcement is still handling that in the best manner possible. Um, there's just too many. I, Kevin. I don't know if you know Kevin Gilmartin was a police um, captain. I believe a sheriff's. Uh, captain for Pima County Sheriff and he's a he's a psychologist uh, um, got his PhD in psychiatry and wrote a book called um, the emotionally distracted cop and he talks about how uh, as an officer they tend to we tend to limit our social and outside um, contacts you know when you start out being an officer you're involved in the gym or civic organizations or religious organizations or friends and because of the work schedules we work friends kind of fall away and you wind up having just cops that are friends but the culture within law enforcement you're either in or you're out in the majority of it and when you're out or if you get fired um, and your whole identity is wrapped around being a cop then it everything is much more critical and devastating to you in your mind and and you find officers choosing to commit suicide where um somebody else who just lost their job probably would not or may not as as often as police officers do 
that's that's an excellent excellent point I, thank you for bringing all that but i was taking notes while you're writing it and i do know kevin gilmartin he actually did a um he came almost right before i left um he came and did a a talk about suicide at our police department not our police department at uh, another city and a bunch of different cities went there um and then he actually gave a very very good talk i'm actually going to reach out to him to have him on the show because i think that he talks about is extremely extremely important and it was so impressive to me that i went to roll call um and, and, and talked about almost exactly what he was what he was talking about and i remember he said almost this is almost verbatim um you know we take perfectly normal great citizens right they, these people are the best of the best they're in shape they're mentally healthy they we make them pass psychological tests and all this type of stuff and then we make them crazy uh you know we, we turn them into these paranoid monsters who think everybody's got going to kill them uh who've always got to sit with their back to the wall uh when they in a restaurant and we just make them crazy and i really thought what he was talking about was profound and of course exactly what you said as far as uh, we, we we lose our other friends, as you mentioned. We, you know, we were in church, we were in softball teams and leagues and bowling leagues and, and coaching our kids and Cub Scouts and doing all this great stuff. And then next thing you know, we, we, we stop doing that, and that really really presents a problem. Really really presents a problem. Um, I've I've talked about that, and and if you could talk about how we how we keep officers in that, keep keep them doing that, that'd be great. If you sir, sure. well, just from what what. And I'm quoting Gil Martin. I mean, I don't have the expertise or the knowledge that he has, but ultimately, his his big position is we we need to make sure we have our social contacts, we maintain social contacts, that we um, just engage in outside activities. And he talks about a, a function called hypervigilance. And when an officer is getting ready to go onto patrol, for instance, or on duty, he starts to build this his mental. Um, and shifts his mental focus from away from home onto a more alert state and, and, and prepares for work in, in law enforcement. And then he keeps that high vigilant or she keeps that high vigilance until they, they get their first day off. And then with, with the, every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. The first day off, most officers tend to just be slugs. They sit around home. They they just de decompress, and then the next day they're up again. And the third day, when they're going back to work, then then they they tend to um, ramp up again to that hypervigilant state. So he he was just saying that those massive mood swings affect the mental health of officers, and and part of that is is necessary. I mean, part of officer safety requires a heightened awareness um and the the flip side to that is it's hard to shift to turn it off and it's hard to um drop back deck back to normal where you know you could sit in a restaurant and not have your back against the wall uh or you weren't always looking or scanning and that that takes a long time i still find myself sitting with my back to the wall and scanning rooms before i go in I, I do it too. I mean, I, I I caught myself the other day. I pulled into a uh, to a convenience store and I sat there for a little bit, watching, making sure I wasn't getting robbed. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> but, but you know, I just can't it can't. It's 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 hard to it's hard to break that that cycle. You talked about, said something very interesting about um uh that many some police departments don't do this. Don't do this type of mental type of. Uh, decompression or or have anything for their officers to 
to to latch on to to help them with their mental to help them with this with this process. There's 18,000 police departments, and we know know you know how how different they are. Um, do you think that that's a problem that we are so bifurcated? We're so we're so we're so spread out as far as our philosophies, culture, one PD's culture, one state's culture, one district attorney's culture. Uh, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, yeah, I, I think we are very bifurcated. Um, every department will have the ability to have somebody go to mental health services. I mean, you have employee um, programs in HR that that allow for that. The, the problem is, is we have a culture in in law enforcement that anybody seeking mental health um, resources is deemed weak um, by others. And so you're either crazy to have to go talk to a psychiatrist or you're weak, you're mentally weak, or there's something wrong with you. And, and it was important from my standpoint as a chief that I changed that cultural expectation within the department. Other departments still felt our officers when they were forced to go into a, um, a debrief situation that, that it was crazy and they were glad they didn't have to do it. But I think we had healthier in the long run officers that were less likely to result, resort to excessive force. I just had a psychologist on and I can't remember his name. He was not on the live show. I did. I recorded the session maybe two or three days. Well, today's Monday. So maybe like Thursday or so last week. And I'm going to release that episode very soon talking exactly about this and just how we break that, that stigma. He wrote an article. He's a PhD as well. He was a former, uh, 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 police officer, former detective, I believe, and got into a shootout in Michigan and uh, around about his 18th or 19th year. And as a result of that shootout that he was in, uh, retired early and then went back to school, completed his PhD. And so uh, really, really great interview. That we had a great time talking. And so one thing that he, he talked about is, is that, um, and he wrote a paper talking about the mental stigma of, of, of males having this issue where we as as exactly what you said is that we don't want to seem weak right we're falling into this trap of i got to be the strong stoic rock all the time whether you're a chief whether you're a captain whether you're a lieutenant whether you're an officer that you cannot be seen as being weak as a police officer and he said you know um and this is something that is almost exclusive to law enforcement when you look at uh fire departments they don't have that because they have brothers uh you know they're always together and whereas in law enforcement, you know, we're running a car and sometimes, you, you know, depending how big your city or, or town is, you may not see another officer the rest of your shift. And you, you have to be that rock. And so it really, really is just a phenomenon that we have to break, that we have to break. Um, I, I think fire departments um, don't have that same problem because they've changed the culture. I mean, if you see a, a major fire right after that, um, part of their command structure is that you're going to have a debriefing you're going to and and everybody sits around about what we could have done better and what we did wrong and how and and they go through a mental debriefing and so mental health uh resources are not seen with the same type of stigma in in fire departments as they are in in law enforcement hmm. in my opinion no no yeah absolutely absolutely uh so we've got a couple of comments here uh trey allen was a forgive me trey i know you're she's coming on the show Former um, 
uh, probation, uh, I think she led to probation, either probation or parole. Forgive me, I should know this. <laughs> You're coming on the show. But anyway, she, um, former law enforcement, law enforcement tends to avoid the topic of suicide instead of focusing on me uh, mental wellness. Uh, I was post-certified to teach suicide prevention for law enforcement. Uh, Teresa says that's interesting. Thanks for being there for them. Uh, Trey, again, says we have to break that stigma, most definitely. And then here's a question. Chief probate probation officer that was that's what uh forgive me you're gonna kill me <laughs> uh, uh so in uh, uh teresa is is saying uh, what is the feeling of debriefing with peers what is the feeling of debriefing with peers i i most it's getting better when i was first in law enforcement uh we rarely did any type of debriefing i mean if you were in a shooting or a critical incident in that manner, there was always a, a debriefing just from a, a administrative review process. Uh, I think as um, the mental health problem has increased in the United States, I think departments are getting better uh, with dealing with the mental health issues. But uh, and peers one on one, unless the stigma changes within a culture, uh, the majority of them are going to say they're not going to talk about it. And they're not going to talk about you going to, I mean, you'll get the kind of comment, well, if it works for you, that's good, but I don't need that. Yeah. That's that rock. That's that stoicism right. that we get going on there. And also, uh, we, we adopt that dark humor, right? We, we start making jokes. We make jokes about somebody who's going. Uh, we make we start making jokes. Sometimes we're on scenes of bad of bad accidents or bad uh, traumatic traumatic uh, uh, events, shootings, and things. So we we adopt these these uh, different types of um, uh, of mechanisms in order to deal with the, the trauma that we're that we're experiencing. Right? Yeah, we go to a macabre sense of humor, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I want to ask you a bit, little bit about what's going on, um, I guess, with law enforcement and infiltration of law enforcement by white supremacist groups. Uh, I know that, and which, which actually, this is something I figured out fairly recently. When, I, when you think of racism, white supremacist groups, I always thought about the South. But apparently the Northwest is rife with this, with this kind of problem. Uh, and so you being up there in Idaho, um, and I, I interviewed... Um, What's her name there? Uh, Rachel Dolezal, uh, who was you know, that woman who was uh, uh, pretending to be black or, you know, if you're, anybody remembers that. Actually, we had a good time. We had a good, great, great conversation. And so please, anyone go back and listen to the interview I did with Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> um, so she she actually was getting threatened by racists uh, in Idaho. She was going back and forth between Idaho and in uh, Washington State, I think Seattle or or somewhere around there, some, somewhere wherever those two intersect, a big city there. And so can you talk about just what's going on up there in the Northwest, number one, and number two, with the with the infiltration of, of law enforcement? Idaho generally is uh, probably the most conservative area politically um, around, we're surrounded by Oregon, uh, Washington, Nevada, uh, Arizona. And and we, it's a, it's a state that is still highly conservative. And in the northern section of it, Coeur d'Alene, Hayden Lake, Spirit Lake, um, which is close to the Washington border, Spokane border, um, has been well, well traditionally when I first came to Idaho, it was it was the um, Aryan Nations uh, camp. Uh, they had a big camp, and uh, that uh, 
the U.S. Marshals got involved in in the Ruby Raid incident and um, several major racketeering charges um, or cases were brought against them. And eventually um, the Aryan Nation in Idaho um, became bankrupt and a lot of a lot of the leadership left. But the residual people with those with that belief still remain. And unfortunately, law enforcement is just a smaller community of a bigger society. And we have we have racists of all colors and creeds in law enforcement, just like we have in our communities. Uh, it's unfortunate because with with law enforcement, we have an increased power and rights that the average citizen doesn't. And when that's abused, it became it becomes a, 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 a crisis within the community and that's we're we're starting to see that within our military we're starting to see that within law enforcement because nobody's really looked it's always been there uh, i mean let's face it um the oj simpson case detective mark Furman um out of los angeles moved to um coeur d'alene idaho uh, and 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 his comment that brought all the attention on himself in the OJ symptom is that he had never used the N-word. And then they had videos saying he did, right. you know, and and so he became marked as a racist. Um, and and then his response to that was to retire from Los Angeles Police Department and move to the northern part of Idaho. Um, I don't know if he's a racist or not. I've never met the man. Um, I just know uh, that area was originally known for um, a racist background, and and it's been cleaned up quite a bit. But there's still there's still uh, white supremacists everywhere. What do you think law enforcement should do to uh, stamp out the problem within law enforcement? Well, I, I I think first of all it starts with recruitment. I mean, you've you've got to do a good background check, and if you find those kinds of issues involved in. Um, your background, then then it becomes a question of why why would you consider hiring somebody with that tendency? But once it's there, it, it's got to be counseled and it's got to be dealt with. But if, if somebody's um, acting in a racist manner against anybody, they should. Uh, my my viewpoint is law enforcement shouldn't tolerate it. They should be removed from the profession because we're just we're supposed to be above that, above reproach. Right. What's your thoughts about? Uh the uh, attempted kidnapping of the governor of Michigan or the, the, the plot to do it and um, what should law enforcement do about that? Anything going forward, right? We had Charlottesville, we had this, this particular plot, we had the, the attack on the Capitol. Uh, what should law enforcement do? I mean, uh, not Homeland Security, but us uh, sure. uniform wearers. <laughs> I, I, the, I think law enforcement's it's incumbent upon them to investigate those kinds of crimes and 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 at least pursue uh, criminal charges against individuals that were involved in that kind of behavior. Um, but I think, with regard to law enforcement in and of itself, we just need to be. We need law enforcement in and of itself, in my opinion, has failed to police itself for the last fifty years. It's been given the honor and the privilege to be able to self-police, but the administration of a lot of departments and as a whole um, fail to self-police themselves in a transparent manner so that the community knows what's going on. 
and and that's created a bigger problem um, when you have these pockets of of incidents that are either deemed that are either truly racist or simply deemed racist um, and 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 I think it, it's incumbent upon the administrations of and, and the hiring process from FTOs, field training officers, all the way up the line to make sure that kind of attitude isn't allowed to persist in, in the department that they're, they're working within. So the, the inability or the lack of policing themselves Expand upon that. I mean, people would say that we've had uh, they, they've had uh, seminars. Uh, they fired cops. Uh, they they. And I read something that said that you know they law enforcement has changed within the last fifty years. Do you really think that they have not done a good job of policing or 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 transparency or expand upon that a little bit? I, I think there's a couple things. I, I think it's more than just the law enforcement agency. I think it also goes with the the prosecutors and the and the judges. Um, we there are incidences I know of of officers who just flat out perjured themselves, and and even in talking to one of the defense counsel said we know he perjured himself. Nobody's going to do anything about it. So we just we deal with that and we make sure we were prepared a little better prepared in a cross-examination um and from my perspective anybody who's not honest and and has a tendency to fabricate or not be truthful about um circumstances uh, doesn't belong in law enforcement i mean you just can't have that because that becomes a slippery slope and and it's it's incumbent upon the supervisors from, again, a field training officer up to identify and deal with that um, so it doesn't persist. I mean, the whole thin blue line or the, the wall of silence that we have in law enforcement, it, it shouldn't be allowed within departments, and yet it is. I mean, one of, one of the early on things in my situation, I had an officer that I felt had used excessive use of force. He wound up slamming an individual's head in the in the car. And when I questioned him about it later, he said, you didn't see that he tried to rear back and hit me. And I said, he didn't. And he said, you need to watch a little better. And it bothered me. So I went to my sergeant and, and, and basically reported it. And what I was told was, you know, you need to just not see those kinds of things because having your your butt kicked for three minutes without any backup is a long time on the street. And he basically told me that, you know, we don't, we don't worry about that. We, we, you know, we don't give other cops tickets. We don't um, charge them if they're DUI. We don't um, call out their excessive use of forces. And then when the, an outside prosecutor or a newspaper or something attempts to gain information we have the ability to lock down and not be transparent and i believe law enforcement um is getting better at becoming more transparent but for the overall majority they tend to be um non-transparent and that breeds distrust um i in in the book that I wrote, I think I was, yeah, while I was writing it is when the officers in Dallas were ambushed and killed. And the 
I commented on the community's response and and the country's response and it depended on and it was all the key at that point my my point was the rhetoric being or the discussions being held outside that community and the discussions being held by the chief of police and the updates given by the chief of police um, de-escalated that whole situation um, that chief who was an afro-american chief um, when the afro-american community complained said you know we have job openings and if you want to make a difference come on down apply i would like to have you work with us in in changing the community that was a whole different approach than what you normally would get and it became very enlightening then when they actually sent the um robot with the 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 explosive device in and detonated it uh i was amazed that uh, the chief came out and told the community what they did and why they did it um Anywhere else, I think, if 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 you had heard that a police department strapped an explosive device, drove it in on a, ro a robot, it within closing distance, and then detonated it and killed the suspect, there would be outrage over that. Yet, uh, when the, the when the chief sat down and said, "This is what we did," he was in a secure position; no officer could get to him without risking the chance of being shot. And this is what we came up with. There was no outrage about it. I was amazed that there was no outrage in the in the Dallas community um, over something like that, and they saw it as valid as a as a valid approach. Um, where if today, if you find out that Boise police explodes a device in, in killing a suspect, you're going to have all kinds of outrage. Yeah, and it it all depends on the relationship. Um, the chief has with the community and that chief happened to have a very good open relationship there's another chief that i saw um afro-american gentleman and it was in some place in the south and when he got the position he said as far as i'm concerned the community is like a um bank and the police department is like a a customer if we do not make consistent deposits into that bank on a daily basis when a major incident comes up and we can't give you and we ask you to trust us uh you'll be more likely to do so than if we don't make those kind of emotional deposits in the bank so when we need to make a withdrawal you, it, it becomes less painful than when when that kind of relationship is built in the community by its police department yeah, that was a that was a, a mantra that we always had is making those deposits. I don't know who the first person who started saying that, but it certainly is something that caught on um, with us. And that was something we always tried to do with our police activity league, uh, co community meetings and things like that. Just trying to make sure that we had um, just make sure that we had uh, some transparency and uh, and made those deposits. We talked a little bit about um uh, this day and this time that we're living in, it's a rough time uh, for, for to be in law enforcement. We're having problems recruiting, uh, not just African-Americans, but just recruiting across the board. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts about that and how do we get more people to sign up to become police officers? Part of that is is the, the, we've got to change our, our, 
our image. In a police, fire departments, I used to say, you know, a fire department will come into your neighborhood, cut a hole in your roof and fill your house full of water and walk away and you'll be thanking, thanking them and shaking their hands. I can walk in, turn around and knock a lamp off the, the table and I'm going to get sued for it. <laughs> and, and that's just because we have not put in the same kind of transparency. I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of accountability and transparency. I'm a strong proponent of body cams and those kinds of things, because the more the community gets to know about what truly happens, the more likely uh, they'll build a trust with their law enforcement, because I think most departments are good. I think most departments are not uh, encouraging the kinds of behaviors that we see on a national basis. And um, but the community doesn't get to see that. Um, if an officer is terminated from any department, in most departments, the community doesn't get to know why they were terminated or why they resigned. Um, and and those and a lot of times you cannot you you simply cannot. Let me rephrase it. When an officer leaves the department, um, nobody ever says anything. They just disappear and wind up someplace else. Um, there are times when the community needs to know that there was there was action taken against them and um and they can come to their own conclusion if he was fired or she was fired or they left because they didn't like it <coughs> excuse me uh, but i you know one of the things i had with my local media is when i took over we had had we had gone through some ethical issues in the in the, in the department i made it very clear we would be an ethical department and um in fact, I think my saying was, there are some things you can do in law enforcement where you can screw up and I can't help you. You violate somebody's rights, excessive force, those kinds of constitutional problems. There's nothing I can do to help you as an administrator. Um, but if you lie to me, I'll fire you. And I meant it. And, and if an officer was dishonest, they didn't get to stay with us. It was simply as that. And we went through a, about a 25% turnover some were asked to leave, some chose to leave because they didn't like the, the process. But, um, and I could never say, and the local media was just beating me up. What is going on with Chief Summers? What's his management problem? Why is he losing so many people compared to other agencies? And finally, one day I sat down with my city manager and I said, can we call him in and have an off the record um, conversation about what's really going on? And he said, yeah, so we called him in and he agreed to do it. And I sat down, went through every termination or every leave officer leaving and why they left. And at the end of that 45 minutes, he kind of took a deep breath and sat back and said, man, I wouldn't want to have your job for anything. And I said, then do me a favor, quit implying that I'm doing something wrong when I'm really doing what the community would expect me to do with a rogue officer or a dishonest officer. Um, and and he never he never drew that parallel again in in the press, uh, but it it just took me being able to sit down and say, this is what's going on. Here's the backstory. Now we can't do that all the time, but we there are several times we can be much more transparent than what we are. Um, in Idaho, do they fire officers for uh, for for lying? I mean, I mean, in Connecticut, 
I, I'm trying to think in Connecticut. I know if if we lied, we were fired. And I don't know if that's a state law or this or just our practice because you you know prosecutor is going to use you. Your your word is is garbage. So right. if you lie in a report or whatever, so is that the is that more of a practice thing or is it that the state law that if you lie? It's not a it's not a state law. Um, it is a practice thing. It's it depends on what the community what the department will do. Uh, if if it becomes severe enough that the officers charged with um, perjury, then you'll look at a decertification process and, and those types of things. But it's 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 at the whim of the administration of the department that that individual works for. Absolutely. Teresa is asking the question, do you feel that officers should be fired for life? In some circumstances, yes. And and the answer to that would be um, basically fired for life is decertification. There's a process in which officers will lose their right to ever be in law enforcement again. And so, yes, I, I believe that if, if the action is severe enough, um, and, uh, and like you said, Captain Hunter, you know, if, if, if you, I know of officers that work for departments that were known to, to lie on the stand and they weren't terminated by their, uh, by their uh, department and then the prosecutor didn't pursue charges against them and then the judges didn't do anything and that's the failure of the system all, all along. Um, but you're right, it's a Brady issue. If an officer has been known for being dishonest, then everything, every in incident he's involved in and testifies, he or she is involved in and testifies uh, is subject to uh, scrutiny because of his, his veracity or her veracity has already been proven to be. So for for my perspective, um, when I had an officer that was accused of lying, I'd talk to the prosecutor. The prosecutor was still comfortable with uh, prosecuting their cases and not, not thinking um, it was a Brady issue. Then we, we held, we dealt with counseling and, and written and reprimands and days off and those kinds of things to correct the behavior but um if it's if it's a, a severe enough issue then then you need to you need to be you need to be out of law enforcement i think as a profession you need to be out of it yeah uh when um i had a i had a couple of judges on and we did, and we were talking about uh, officers who go from department to department. And I think we talked before uh, about this before we came on or started recording is Connecticut, you, if you resign while you're under investigation or if you get terminated from uh, um, from a department, you cannot be a law enforcement officer. I guess that's not the case in California where people can jump around and, you know, you, you get fired from one place and you just go get a job at some other place. Is, is That's not the case in, in, in Idaho or, or is it? It's not. If if you get fired from one department, you can go to work for another. As long as that department's willing to hire you, that's that's not an issue. Now, if you're fired for criminal behavior or something along that lines, then you go through the state um, certifying agency goes through a decertification process, and um, you're either decertified or you're not. There is no censure. So if you're not decertified, you're free to go to work for any other department. The department receiving you or looking at hiring you is it's incumbent upon them to do a thorough background which would include looking at your post records uh looking at 
the department's records that you were there and why you, uh, and in Idaho, you cannot make a copy of a personnel file while you're investigating um, or doing a background. You can read it, but you can't make a copy of it. Um, and that's a, that's a um, privacy and personnel um, protection. You, you just can't do it. But, but if I call the agency and I say, look, I'd like to come up and talk to you. I'm looking at hiring Captain Hunter and I'd like to review his, his personnel file. They'll say, fine. If I call them and they ask for information, most of the time they won't, they won't allow, they won't have any discussion with me about it. You know, make a, make a request for information or uh, here you can talk to our HR department, that type of thing. And really as part of the background, it's critical that you go into and, and look at their, their actual police file as well as their personnel file because you have interesting um, letters of, um, counseling and that type of thing they come up that are not going to show in a personnel file hmm. national standards talked about this a little bit national standards would this knock off all this kind of crazy stuff if the same thing that happens in connecticut happens in idaho happens in florida happens in california what are your thoughts from a from a decertification standpoint i think yes we should do that um the 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 problem with that is you know, a, a severe issue in Idaho may be considered a day-to-day -day more common issue in in New York. And so, you know, but if if you, Captain Hunter, decided you were going to come from New, New York Police Department, go to work for McCall Police Department, and, and McCall says no because of your history of whatever it is, the types of use of force or that type of thing, um, that's fine. You need to understand that if you're going from one of those departments to a smaller department, uh, the standards may be may be different, and that's that's where it becomes more problematic nationally um, to have a certain standard for hiring. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, Teresa. So in some places, you can lie, and all you get is a day off. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Uh, others, you get terminated, or you um, and and I think. It's, it's getting to the point where the the better agencies um, are, are taking much more severe um, disciplinary action against officers who are, are doing things that are, that are skating the line. Yeah. She's asking uh, for, I'm sorry, example of lying? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, example of lying? Or please clarify what you want an example of. Um, so while she does that, uh, so your, your book, what made you decide to write the book? It's called Tarnishing the Badge. What made you decide to write the book? I, I, it started out as, as part of my master's dissertation, my MBA. Uh, and I was dealing with decertification in officers, and, and there's a the, the process in marketing called resource-based view, and that is ultimate, in essence, taking the the person most qualified and most interested for a job and placing them there so the organization gets the greater um, benefit. Uh, if, for instance, if, if there were a public speaking job, I would be more interested in doing that. But if the department then turned and put me in an IT situation, it, it, it didn't benefit the, the, 
department because of the learning structure I had to go through to be competent in IT and and the other it's not the best use of their resource and and departments need to look at their um, personnel as a, as one of the most valuable resources and assets they have and they need to develop that okay so you were doing it as a part of, and so you just wanted so, to so I I I'm, I'm sorry, I really didn't answer your question. I, <laughs> sorry. I, so I, I started that process, and then what I was looking at, and part of it is is sort of what I went through uh, as I left my agency or was fired from my agency, is that I was I was looking and seeing that there was an incredible lack of transparency in law enforcement. Um, there are body cams, for instance, or, or videos um, that there's reasons that you don't release them in, in some circumstances, but there are circumstances where releasing a body cam and um, video would would um, alleviate a lot of concerns of the public. And I've got a perfect example. There's a city fairly close to me that um, had an officer go to a barking dog complaint and and wound up shooting the dog and killing the dog and the community was up in arms over it until they released the body cam where the individual opened the door the dog came running at the officer jumped and tried to bite the side and actually bit the oc spray uh, canister and and then turned and was coming back when the officer fired and killed the dog now that's a whole different scenario then you're walking up to the dog the door and the dog's barking and you shoot and kill it and by releasing the video the uh, body cam as to why the officer took the action uh, the community calmed right down hmm. and and i think uh, there's a tendency in law enforcement to say we're not going to do that we're not going to open ourselves up to that kind of thing and and that breeds distrust amongst officers and departments and the community i believe i can't i can't believe that that still goes on today and that's i mean there's so much research that that says exactly what we're saying if you just release the body cam you can calm communities and all that there's so much research about it just why why departments are so reluctant if there's are are any you know it's just ridiculous um so uh Teresa says an example of what isn't accepted in one department that is accepted in another. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, answer, Chief. But I just wanted to give a little story. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, and this is about the Sandra Bland incident. So, I mean, Sandra Bland incident, okay, you know, we, we understand now that the that the, um, that the officer there pulled her over for, you know, apparently, no, you know, seemingly no reason or, or looking for a reason and all that kind of stuff. So when they get to the to the prison or to the, to the county uh, prison there, or jail. Um, what happened was the 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 prison the prison guards the sheriff. I'm not exactly sure if they're sheriffs or whatever they were, but the but the workers there they were law enforcement, and so they actually were filling out their day books, filling out the the information in the day books, right? So uh, usually uh, the way we did it in our department was, and I'm assuming this is what they did down there is is that they would uh, fill out their their day books. Uh, so at uh, I, I start work. Let's just say I'm working eight to five this day. So from I did a I did a cell block check at eight fifteen I did it at eight thirty I did eight forty five whatever so I th they wrote all this down as soon as they went to work that day, <laughs> and it's obvious that when they checked the cameras that this is not the case because you know it's not the case that you checked that you did cell block checks so that's an example of them lying 
on their police reports. So these officers, because of this whole situation with Sandra Bland, ended up resigning from that department, but they got hired by another department, even though <laughs> even though it's in their personnel files or records and everybody knows this, that they that they had uh, been dishonest in their in their personnel files. So that's an example. And that was in Texas. That was an example of what of what uh, of, of some of this. Chief, did you have another example? Uh, another very simple example is in some departments, most departments say they officers are not allowed any gratuities hmm. or in Idaho. We happen to say there was no gratuity above twenty five dollars that would be allowed. And and and. We, we got to that because there are, there are some officers in some departments that will only go to places and eat both on duty and off duty because they know it's 50% for any officer. And, um, or it's okay to uh, expect a meal for your family um, because you're an officer. Mm. Uh, or if you're eating and... and you know, typically the even some departments don't allow any free meals. My my department, we didn't. Uh, we simply did not want to. If somebody wanted to get a cup of coffee and they they chose to give them a cup of coffee, we didn't have a problem with that. But um, a meal or something to that effect, that's one thing that you get with with different agencies. The the other thing is just how an officer's how a, a suspect is treated when placed in a car. There are some departments that if the if the individual's mouthy and, and obnoxious they can do a car check uh, which is basically all the persons seated in the back of the car they can slam on the brakes and see if they can slide them forward and and hit their head the, you know that's not that's allowed or that culture is allowed in some departments it's not in others that's another example yeah yeah so that's that's some of the type of thing we hope we answered your questions there uh, and this is all stuff that you know. Honest, I think honest, good police officers are not are trying not to do, uh, or or not doing, or not allowing. And you know, with the whole George Floyd incident, are going to be under the gun to report incidents like that, particularly of you know the car checking and all that kind of stuff. We we call it brake checking, you know. Right. You know, so um, not that we were doing that. I was just had a term for it. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. So, what what has been the reception to the book? What's been the reception to the book? It's been it's been good. Uh, law enforcement hasn't appreciated it at all, um, <laughs> and and I didn't expect they they would. Um, but there there are a lot in academia, and there's a lot in in law enforcement that recognizes there needs to be more transparency and there needs to be more uh, accountability. Um, and so I didn't say anything new to those individuals, to the individuals that are, I, I one of the positions I, I took was that I believe uh, personnel records of anybody that works in the public sector in which 51% or more of their salary comes from taxpayer dollars are subject to having um, information released about them. In Idaho, uh, Idaho state law prevents any personnel information to be released to the public. Um, so those kinds of laws and practices need to change, I believe. Do you think that it's going to change, particularly in, in light of the George Floyd incident and other state laws? New York did the same thing, is going through the same thing where they're changing their laws. Do you think that that, that type of thing is going to change in Idaho? Uh, we we had an issue with one of our major cities in Boise where uh, there were several shootings and, and 
people question that and they wound up with an ombudsman. So what my position has always been, it's up to the law enforcement to police themselves well and to be transparent. Because if you refuse to do so, eventually somebody from outside of law enforcement will be the ones to be looking over you and doing that. And, and there's just too much about law enforcement that has to be observed from a reasonable officer standard. And, and, and because it's not understood by, by most people, certain actions seem to be more severe, but to an off another officer, it's an acceptable action to have been taken. So, um, but departments need to be better about explaining why, otherwise we're gonna, it's not changing is what I'm saying. It, it's changed, it's changed slowly uh, since I first got into law enforcement, but law enforcement as a as a vehicle is slow to turn and change um so it if if law enforcement doesn't become more transparent then then i believe forces from outside law enforcement will be forced forced or thrust upon them and i think that's what we're seeing in a lot of uh communities that have high profile issues Mm. I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine um, who's a high-ranking officer uh, just the other day, and this is something I addressed in my book. And I talk about um, the, the – the, I'm very much disappointed in the history and the teaching of the history of law enforcement in America, in particular what we, what we get in the police academies, at least what we got in our, in our police academy. Do you think a more um, honest approach and view to the history of law enforcement, the slave catching, uh, the, the the fact that the many law enforcement officers were breaking up LGBT uh, uh, um, organizations, uh, breaking up unions, union fights. Um, they were used to, to, to suppress so many different uh, communities. Do you think that people under, if, if law enforcement understood that, then they would understand why the public has a problem, you know, in this day and in this time of 2021. I mean, we're paying, essentially, we're paying for this. In 2021, 2020, uh, officers are paying for the sins of those officers who came before them, their predecessors in the 19, in the 18, 19, et cetera, hundreds. Absolutely. I, you know, we've had this discussion before, Captain, and I, I believe that uh, a law enforcement academy should be a minimum two years, and it it should uh, the officer should be coming out with a um, uh, an associate's degree in criminal justice. Um, I just I think those kinds of topics have to be expanded upon, other than what we do in the short. Uh, and and the problem with doing that is that. For instance, in Idaho, the officer, the department pays the officer while he's going to the academy, and um, and they they so they're really being employed. So if you've got an officer that needed to um, go to a two-year school, then that would have to happen prior. Uh, departments would only be hiring certified officers at that point, or somebody coming out of that. And you know, I, I saw the comment about Robert Peel, and Sir Robert Peel was the one that said that um, police are the community, and the community are the police. Uh, the only difference is that uh, the police have been given by the community more authority to stand in 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 the gap between those who are law abiding and those who are not. Yeah. 
Uh, listen, I think I think that if anybody reads Robert Peel's principles, the nine principles, we could all agree with that. The problem is the application of it wasn't tr wasn't fair. I mean, you as a as a as a white male were, were on the top, and if you're a white female, you were lower. If you were Hispanic or 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 you know black, you know, eventually you you just kept moving down this tier system, and so I think that that has caused so much problem, so much animosity, um, and so. And, and I agree with you. I, I think that that history needs to be taught. Yeah. It needs to be taught not only in, in law enforcement, but throughout our communities. History as a, as a subject has kind of faded away. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Where can we pick up the book? Uh, you can get it on Amazon or on my website. Uh, uh, most of the time it's, it's on Amazon and it's just under tarnishing of the badge and it's available for, I believe, the dollar ninety nine. It's a. I'm not trying to make a lot of money on it. I'm just trying to get the concept of transparency and accountability out. Now you're doing other things too, now, right? You're public speaking. Or you're, what, what else I've you done doing? some public speaking, uh, yes. And I was doing. Uh, I was a CEO of a company called Let's Make It Matter, where I was doing a lot of pro bono work, um, and I backed off of that. Um, but I did a lot of pro bono work in, in cases where I felt somebody was uh, involved in prosecutorial misconduct or um, police misconduct. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, Teresa says she can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's a good read. It's, it's a definitely a good read. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I really, really had a great time talking with you, man. I'd like to have you on again. Oh, I, one more question. We didn't get to this. Uh, there's a lot of uh, police chiefs. Did we talk about? No, we didn't talk about this. A lot of police chiefs retiring, uh, quitting uh, because of, the, the, I guess, assuming the pressure of defunding the police. Uh, I know that's not going to happen, but but uh, disbanding the police, that's not going to happen. Maybe some no. defunding. But um, uh, what are your thoughts about the, all these different police chiefs who are just saying, forget it, I'm not going to deal with this? that uh, it's unfortunate because uh, it, it has its pros and its cons. The pros are it gets rid of some of the old uh, way and thinking of law enforcement and allows the opportunity for new thought processes to come up through the ranks. Um, the other side is there's an awful lot of experience that's lost when that happens. And and let's face it, most, most officers don't go to a chief's position until they're within three to five years of retirement. The average national span of a, a municipal police chief last time I looked was 19 months. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not long. Yeah, it's not long. I think if somebody can make it three years, I, mean, I think they're doing good, right? They are. That, that, that's really, really good, you know? Um, so, come on, Teresa, you said you're still reading minds. Come on, you got to get through that <laughs> thing. It's not, <laughs> it's not that long. <laughs> I'm actually looking to do a second edition. I wanted to expand and talk about a little bit more uh, c corrections and uh, a little, a couple, a few more things. So I'm probably going to do a second edition, maybe sometime this year or something like that. So. And where do we find your book? Uh, mine, is L <laughs> mine is on L. Mine is on lulu.com. Lulu <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, I'm still trying to get it onto uh, ebook. I got to do some formatting issues there. I've been going back and forth with them. So that's, I'm hoping to have that done by the end of February because I'm just tired of wrestling with them about this awesome. formats thing. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just, come on, I'm like, <laughs> come on. You guys knew what this format was before I did this. How come you didn't tell me this before? So I just kind of threw it to the side, but I got to get that done. So, gotcha. Um, 
Yeah. So thanks for coming on. I really, really want to have you back on. A really great conversation. I, it's it's great to see someone, a chief who's very honest and open about what's going on in law enforcement, how we can fix it, and that there's, in some communities, there's a problem. I, I don't think either one of us is saying that that people ought not to be police or that their cops are just corrupt and. No, we're not saying no, that at no. all. We're not saying it at all. But there's some places that need to be fixed. And I think the big word is transparency. If we screw up, just be transparent about it. You know, that that's that's just the bottom line. So. Granted, indeed. And thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure, and I'd love to be back on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, guys, uh, you guys can check out our 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 episode. We were on two times with the issues today. That's in my archives. Uh, so you can go back to the. Um, audio podcast and look at issues today um you know the audio version which is available captain hunters podcast apple podcast google play uh, we were on two times issues today um this will be on there as well and tomorrow night we are going to talk about COVID again uh do you get your you get your uh, vaccine are you going to get the vaccine or what's up with that uh I don't intend to. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't intend to. I, I, you know, I, 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 but I don't get flu vaccines either. So yeah, I just don't. I, listen, I've taken a beating about that as well. Um, I am. Uh, so I had a doctor on. She, she was trying to convince me to get it, and I'm going to have a, a public the uh, for the city of New Haven here in in Connecticut. We're going to have the the head of the Department of Health there. And she's going to talk about how they rolled it out for New Haven and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe she can talk me into it. So, Will, I'm going to give her another chance and opportunity <laughs> to talk me into it. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> so that's tomorrow night. So, guys, tune in for that. If you guys want to check out uh, what's going on, you know, if you want to talk about flu shots and all that kind of stuff. And I've actually asked her to talk about the history. <laughs> I've actually asked her to talk about the history of distrust. She's a, a Latina. Uh, Latina female, and so she's going to talk about the uh, history uh, that that uh, Black and Brown communities have had with with dealing with uh, the medical industry. So that's why you know there's a lot of hesitation. That's not your problem there, but <laughs> but but uh, but uh, so so anyway. So we'll see you guys uh, tomorrow night. That's tomorrow. It's a special show Tuesday, 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much to Chief Jerry Summers for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really really appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I did. Uh, to answer your question, there, uh, did you finish your test? I did. I put. It, I think I put the results on the uh, podcast uh, on the uh, podcast page. Uh, said I was. Uh, gosh, what am I? Uh, words of affirmation. That's that's what uh, that's what gets me the most. Words of affirmation. So uh, it was only one more question too. It was which it was the crazy thing. I only had one question left to go. So I may take the single test, uh, single person's test. I don't know. So, um, but uh, yeah. So that's that's what I am. Words of affirmation. <laughs> and um, second was the touch, physical touch. Those are my love languages. If anybody's interested, I'm. I'm sure nobody's interested. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I will. Uh, yeah, it's on the uh, it's on the podcast. It's on the page there. Yeah. So, uh, I really, really thank you guys for tuning in. And um, so, next week we'll have another uh, entanglement episode. Uh, this, like I said, tomorrow is uh, Department of Health Maritza Bond. She's come on and commented before, so she's on tomorrow night. 
nothing on Wednesday, but then next Wednesday we have another show. Uh, and so, uh, and who's on for next week? Who's on for next week? Um, so we have a lady, Nakia Fields is on for next week. Nakia Fields is on for next week. So that's it. Okay. You guys have a great evening too. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys later. Much love and peace. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today.